RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Mac Weldon. Quality essentials for men. Take 20% off your first order at MacWeldon.com when you enter the promo code MissionLog at checkout. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Episode 332, Family Business. to Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. On Mission Log, we watch an episode of Star Trek, taking it apart for ideas and ideals, and seeing whether the whole thing holds up today. This week, family business, the one where Quark and Rom face the Ferengi Commerce Authority and their mom. I've got trivia coming up in a bit, but first... But first, I'm going to let you know how to get in touch with us. Mission Log Pod is the address to find us on Facebook, Skype, and Twitter. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we would love to hear your voice. 323-522-5641 is the phone number to call. 323-522-5641. Our email address is missionlog at roddenberry.com. Our show website, including discovered documents, is at missionlogpodcast.com. And please do remember... We may use your comments on an upcoming episode of Mission Log. I've already forgotten the name of it, John. We talked um, a couple of weeks ago about John Candy's character from SCTV. Oh, Dr. Tongue. Dr. Tongue. I I was off the top of my head. I said Dr. Finger. Yeah. (laughs) Which sounded great because I was thinking of this is the 3D thing and he goes toward the camera and all that. But I, of course, wrote in, no, 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 it's Dr. Tongue, of course. People may be wondering why I would bring that up two weeks later. Here's my suggestion. Uh, listen to trivia and find out. Good call. Trivia for today's episode, Family Business. It was written by Ira Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf. Of course, they both get the teleplay and story credit here. Now, both Ira and Robert have had a strong hand in driving DS9 at this point. Their desire was to do something more serious with the Ferengi, and I I love this. Ira even called it the Ferengi version of Long Day's Journey into Night. The episode is directed by René Aubergenois. Now, way back when we covered Profit Motive, we mentioned that René didn't exactly fall in love with directing the way he did with acting. He had only directed a couple of sitcom episodes before his first DS9 episode. This is his second out of eight total. Hey, we have a new runabout, this one named Rubicon. Funny. Remember how we just discussed in The Die is Cast, how Julius Caesar said those famous words, allegedly. In Latin, of course, alea yacte est, when crossing the Rubicon. Well, here it comes full circle. This, though, is a lot less sinister. They're just replacing a runabout, not going into battle. This time... Hey, did you notice the shout-out to Cestus III? Well, almost 100 years ago in Trek history, Kirk fought a Gorn there. I guess the Metrons moved on, the Gorn gave up, and now you've got a handful of humans playing baseball. Oh, and uh, did you notice the name of one of those teams? Yeah, the yeah the Comets, and they also had the Pike City Pioneers. So, just going to assume that's a shout-out 
to uh, the once and former captain, Captain Pike. And in this episode, we have our first trip to Ferenginar. So nice to see a new matte painting there with a lot of water. Were you surprised that it was raining as much as it was on Ferenginar? See, I thought it was just a thing they would do once or twice, but it rained the whole time. Yeah. Like all the time. I, I, that was an interesting choice, but I guess it, you know, maybe reinforced the, the mood there. There's something serious going on. Let's talk about the guest star as well. We have the Secretary of the Ferengi Commerce Authority, played by Mel Green. Only a small handful of on-screen credits for Mel, but he did appear in an episode of The Wonder Years. His last professional on-screen credit is 1998's Music from Another Room. Hey, in this episode, we finally meet Cassidy Yates, and she is played by Penny Johnson, or you may know her as Penny Johnson Gerald. She's as credited as Johnson here. Penny has got a lot of TV under her belt. What started out with guest roles led very quickly to recurring and series regular gigs. You've seen her on The Larry Sanders Show, 24, ER, Castle, and most recently, you can catch her on The Orville. And Jeffrey Combs was Brunt? Well, yes, Jeffrey Combs was Brunt. And again, he just so seamlessly jumps into a role, didn't even think about it until I looked it up. We've mentioned Jeff before and how he has a long run of playing different aliens on Trek. Ken, if you still haven't seen Reanimator, check that out sometime. Doesn't play an alien in that one. Plays, plays a guy. Plays a human. And finally, Quark and Rom's mother, Ishka, better known as Moogie, is played by Andrea Martin. Now, sure, you may know Andrea from the My Big Fat Greek Wedding movies. You may know her as a voice talent on a huge number of animated shows. You may even know that she is a multiple Tony Award-winning actor for performances on Broadway. To me, though, Andrea Martin is one of the stars of SCTV, and for the numerous times that we've referenced that show on this show, we should probably just start an SCTV podcast. Unfortunately, the makeup didn't agree with Andrea, and this is the only time she will appear in Star Trek. We'll always have Moogie, though. I want to do the recap this week. Quark and Rom, go home to see Mom. There, I think we are done. The Cisco's are enjoying a family dinner of chicken paprikash when Jake takes the opportunity to tell his old man again that he knows this freighter captain, Cassidy Yates, who might be someone he should meet. Meanwhile, in Quark's bar, seems like business as usual until Brunt from the Ferengi Commerce Authority shows up. He's got a writ of accountability against Quark. Seems to be a bit of trouble, which prompts Rom to close the bar and kick everyone out. Act 1. Aside from what is probably the usual level of shady Ferengi business, the real reason Brunt has come to confront Quark and Rom has nothing to do with the bar. It's actually the illegal profits gained by a family member, specifically their mother Ishka, who is back on the Ferengi homeworld, Franganar. Women aren't allowed to earn profit, and the only way to settle this mess is to have a family member force a confession and then make restitution for the crime. So Quark will leave DS9 for Ferenganar, and he's holding Odo to see to it that the bar and all his possessions stay put while he's gone. In Ops, Commander Sisko is made aware that a new runabout to replace the Mekong is almost completed. He'd like it to be named Rubicon, 
and on his way up to his office, he stopped by Dax. She'd like to know if he has met a certain freighter captain yet, one Cassidy Yates. He says no, but what does Dax make of her? She says if she was still Curzon, she would have stolen her by now. As Cork prepares to leave DS9, Rom inserts himself into the situation. He says he's coming along, even though Quark doesn't want him there. Quark says he hates it that Rom always takes their mother's side in things, but all right, just stay out of his way. Act 2. On Ferenginar at Quark's home, Brunt tells him what has to happen. He's got three days to get a confession out of his mother. If that doesn't happen, she'll go into indentured servitude, and he'll have to pay restitution equal to the value of her crimes. Then in walks Mugi, Ishka, being brazen enough to tell Brunt that he'll get no confession out of her. To make matters more uncomfortable, she's breaking another Ferengi taboo by wearing clothes. Rom is happy to see his mom, even if he's uncomfortable by her dressed state. Brunt takes off. Quark puts his foot down. He expects her to put her imprint on the confession so that he can get out of there and back to his bar. She says again that she won't, and it's up to Quark and Rom to either stay or go, but she's not budging on this. Back on DS9, Bashir and Chief O'Brien are attempting a little breaking and entering into Quark's bar, apparently with the full consent of Odo and Commander Sisko. You see, they want their lucky dartboard back so badly, and Quark's is closed while the owner is away. Seems reasonable to try to push through Rom's very complicated lock. It's also an opportunity for a few more of Cisco's staff to inquire about Cassidy Yates, who, no, he still has not yet met. And he's getting a little annoyed that everyone on board knows about her and Jake's interest in getting them together. Dinner time on Ferenginar and Ram is serving up grubs. Quark is scheming, maybe thinking he can get his mother the equivalent of an insanity defense. She's always been a bit different. She never chewed food for the kids when they were growing up. She would talk to strangers. Not only was she out of her mind, she was an embarrassment to Quark. It really comes to blows over dinner when she states again that she did nothing wrong. She won't apologize, and she certainly won't leave her imprint on a confession. Besides, she only made three bars of latinum, but it's the principle of the thing. Quark is trying to rein her in, that Ishka says no matter what, she can't just confess to make all this go away. Quark storms off, saying that she doesn't care about the family business, his future, or their family reputation. Act 3. Rom tries to level with his mom, and to make things super comfortable, she undresses since it puts Rom at ease. He's saying that Quark is actually a good guy, but Mugi is fed up. She's not like other Ferengi. She's enlightened. She doesn't think she did anything wrong by showing that she's capable of earning a profit, just like any male. The old rules are old. Yeah, it might damage Quark's reputation, but he'll be able to take care of himself. In a cargo bay on DS9, at long last, Commander Sisko introduces himself to a very busy Cassidy Yates. She's the boss. She knows her stuff. She's got a lot to deal with at the moment. She's amused by Jake playing matchmaker, though, and before Cisco leaves, she invites him to have coffee with her tomorrow evening. Early morning on Ferenginar, 
and Cork has been digging away at Moogie's financial records. What he finds is a bit of a surprise. His mother isn't just good at business, she's very good. In fact, she's been profiting under several aliases and multiple businesses for way more than three bars of latinum. If he has to pay restitution for all of this, he tells his brother that he'll be ruined. Act 4. Quark is in a bit of a daze. He says the only thing he can think of to do is to kill his mother. Probably half-joking. Maybe. He confronts Ishka in her room, but she just sticks to her guns. No man helped her. This is her doing, and she's proud of it. Most damning of all, she says that her husband, Quark and Rom's beloved father, was no good at business. It was all her. This is more than Quark can take. He's had enough, and he storms right out of there with a pad full of evidence of his mother's indiscretions to take to the FCA. This time it's Rom, though, who confronts Quark. Their mother is right. Rom was the one who stayed at home after Quark left, and he saw it all. Their father was incapable of making a profit. It was their mother all along. The rage builds until the two start throwing punches. When Ishka breaks it up, she says if Quark wants to take this to the FCA, he should just go. Act 5. At the liquidator's office of the FCA, Quark pays his way in for every little thing to see Brunt. But before he can, Rom comes in with an urgent message. Moogie says she'll split the profits with him 50-50. Well, this changes Quark's tune. He says he'll catch Brunt later. But now he's got to talk to his mom. At home, well, Rom wasn't exactly truthful. He told Moogie that she could keep her profits. He told Quark 50%. It was just a ruse to get them in the room talking again. Rom has had it up to his lobes with the two of them. He goes off to take a nap while they work it out. And they do. Ishka is straightforward with Quark. His father, Keldar, was never good at business, just like Rom. Quark, on the other hand, is a lot like his mother, with the lobes for making a profit. Still, she loves them both for what they bring to the family. And if he wants her to, Ishka will imprint the confession and return the money. Oh, remember DS9, Cisco, Yates, Coffee? That's happening in the Replimat, and it seems the two actually have something in common. Cassidy's brother is a colonist on Cestus III and plays baseball. Ben is amazed that someone else knows about baseball, and Cassidy invites him to come listen to the audio play-by-play of her brother's latest game. From higher up on the promenade, Jake looks on with approval. Back on Ferenginar, Ishka is living up to her promise. She sits in her home, undressed, while Brunt looks on as she gives her imprint to a full confession. There go the prophets, and there goes Brunt out the door, hoping to never see this family again. When he's gone, Cork says he's got to get back to his bar, so it's goodbyes all around, with this family reconciled, and for once, seemingly happy all around. Of course, it doesn't hurt that Moogie lied to the FCA, and kept two-thirds of the profits hidden for herself. That's a little detail Quark doesn't have to know. The end. Have you had paprikash? Uh, yes. Are you saying that there is too much pepper on the paprikash? I don't know what you're doing right now. You don't know, you don't know that you saw When Harry Met Sally? 
Oh man, so many years ago. I yes. know. So many I love. I love that movie. But yeah, it's been it's been many years. No. So here's the thing. It's probably on Pluto TV right now. It could, it could well be. Yeah. It's a, yeah. Patreon.com slash mission log if you want to know what that was about. <laughs> so I, you know, did not know if it was a real thing or not. And oh, I looked really? it up last night. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I know. I know. Yeah. Although they did say it was Hungarian. So I figured, okay, it's probably a real thing. So I looked it up last night and, uh, and I just, I, I don't want anything else now. Oh, dude, it, it, it's so good. And, yeah. Um, uh, very often you get it at, um, like in LA or New York or Chicago, you have a lot of Jewish delis that pull from a lot of, uh, you know, Eastern European influences, all the, sure. so you have, uh, you know, your classic Jewish deli staples, you got your pastrami, you got your corned beef, but then you look far enough, you get into the main dishes and sure enough, there will very often be like a goulash, a chicken paprikash. And what I like served with, uh, and I'm going to get it wrong. So our German fans can let me know, but spätzle. Spätzle, little uh, dumplings, little potato made dumplings. Oh man, nice, so good. All right, so good. And that yep. looks like what they were were doing in the show. It looked like they had the dumplings to go along with it. Well, that's the thing, and this is why I'm not doing it because I've been I've been trying to like eat a little bit better recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I read a recipe for the paprikash, and it starts with uh, so take three eggs and two cups of flour, and I was like. <laughs> We're making chicken, right? <laughs> no, it turns out you start with the dumplings. So yeah, yeah. I won't be doing that. I won't be doing that anytime soon. Okay. Although if I find myself in New York or LA, mm-hmm. maybe I'll go to yeah. Cantor's and see uh, and challenge them. Oh, we will so make that happen. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. Hey, we have a beard update already. It's only been <laughs> one episode. We've got a beard update. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you feel about this one? The last one looked a little too heavy. It almost looked kind of drawn in. Yeah, the last one seemed, I mean, well, we joked in the last episode that it seemed like his beard was just, you know, signaling mirror universe. Uh, this this felt this felt more uh, manageable and yeah. managed, I think. Yeah. Cisco's beard, by the way. We're talking about Cisco's beard. Yes. Because you said beard update and that could be. Cassidy Yates has a beard? Whoa, wow. No, she doesn't. Man. No, no. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, so, obviously, it was a good running bit. You had Quark having to bribe Brunt with a little strip of latinum for every single little piece of information, even though it's not secret information. Like, it's hilarious to me. They treat everything as a bribe, mm-hmm. even though they're not bribing them for anything. It's like, oh, you want to have a seat in the chair? Yeah, it's, it's a strip of latinum. I'm going to take the elevator. It's a strip of latinum. I'm here to charge you with something. I haven't told you what it is. Oh, I'm going to take a strip of latinum for that. It's interesting you saw those as bribes because I just assumed it was, you know, a first rule of commerce, don't give anything away. That's got to be a rule of acquisition, right? Oh, oh sure. Don't, yeah, don't yeah, give yeah. anything away. I will say haggling for the right to sit down was my favorite one of those, though. It was, it was funny. Great. Like, you know, it's uh, three, uh, three, three strips to sit down. Well, I'll stand. That's one strip. Yeah. Well, maybe a two to let me sit. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. And I loved how those little donation boxes are the same everywhere with the, the image of the Nagus. Yeah. Uh, on it. You know? Yeah. So you just know, like, no matter what, you're going to have to put a strip of latinum in there for something. Do you think that's like a federal, like, like a federal office? Like when, when the presidency changes, they go in and they, you know, put up new pictures of the new president. Oh, they might. But remember, Quark has one in his home. So I, I thought it was, I guess somebody might have a picture, a visage in their home of, of the president or, or the Pope well, or whatever. Right. So, no, but what I'm wondering, because I assume that you actually have to have those. I would assume that Ferenginar makes you have those. Do they then come around and like when there's a new Nagus, 
Mm-hmm. Like, is it a new like thing of a new Nagus? Because that's just more money. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you have to have a whole company that makes all the images of the new Nagus. Exactly. I, I would just open up newnagusinc.com. That's, <laughs> that's the whole deal. That should totally be a thing. Newnagusinc.com. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll get on that right away. Yeah. Hey, uh, and speaking of profits, good callback to Liberry Wine. Still an ongoing concern, although I'm a little worried that it's in the Gamma Quadrant, but whatever. They're making money on that. By the way, I, I was good. Uh, I was glad to see a callback. Uh, I believe it's Kira who says, you know, at the rate we go through runabouts, it's a good thing Earth has so many rivers. So a good acknowledgement of the limited resources and that things actually get destroyed and never seen again. Not every Trek show is on top of it like that. Right. You know? um, also, how fast can they build those? I was surprised, actually, that he gets to name them. Well, who who else would? Well, when he got there, did all the runabouts have other names? Like, were they named after cartoon characters? And then he oh, was like, well, I can't, cool. I can't do that. Yeah. So yeah. I'm taking the Woody Woodpecker out to a... Right, <laughs> right. You're not. You're not. You're taking the, you're taking the Orinoco. Because <laughs> I just can't. I can't possibly. I'm taking the Charlie <laughs> Brown down to the surface. No, you're not. You're yeah. taking the big Sandy. A question for you. Uh, Dax has a line. To say, if I was still Curzon, I would have stolen her from you by now, referring to Cassidy Yates. Well, look, she's still partly Curzon. What's stopping her? Yeah. You know? Just Well, I mean, do you think he actually would have, though, when he was? Because, like, when he met Jennifer after, after, um, after Cisco had met Jennifer... I think he's just, I think he's just like ripping him, but you're right. That would be an interesting episode. Yeah. Like you see, see Gen Z a wooing yeah, for a whole episode. Yeah. See, here's the thing though. Like Curzon, just for the purposes of the show, Curzon is the, the fallback, the default for any just bizarre behavior you, you want to reference. You want to, like, if you want to create a thing in Cisco's past, mm-hmm. just say like Curzon got him to do it. Or, right. if you, you know, so it's really is a convenient thing, a character that we never see, that we never, we know, well, I, I might get an image of him, but it, you never get to know. Right. They like, oh, yeah, uh, it's like the devil made me do it. Like, yeah, Curzon made me do it. Curzon was there. So, yeah, we just have a convenient excuse. By the way, uh, we were talking about making donations or payments for everything, bribes for everything on Ferenganar. Mm-hmm. Um you have to sign a legal waiver to come into somebody's house. That was the, the bit when, yeah. when Quark and Rom come in with Brunt. That's really interesting, actually. You would think they'd be able to get around everything that she's doing wrong just by inviting him in. Yeah. Because he actually has to sign a waiver, which I'm assuming includes an NDA. Yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah, even if he's that. upset that she's wearing clothes, he can't go out and report that because he signed a thing that said he wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Which reminds me. Where did she get Ferengi clothes for a female? Ah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Pell, you'll remember, Pell was dressed mm-hmm. like a man or a male. Yep. Uh, partly, I'm guessing, because she was trying to pass as a male, sure. <laughs> but also, partly, I would imagine, because uh, they don't make clothes for females. True. And yet, she is very much wearing, she, she's wearing mom clothes. You know, once she you're is. like, you know, 30, 40, 50, she's wearing mom clothes in this. And, yeah. um, and, and who made those? Fashion by whom? Hmm. Good question. Guess we'll have to 
find out on another episode with Moogie, maybe. Um, well, speaking of Ferengi design stuff, there's a lot of carryover of Ferengi design aesthetic. Like you have a lot of domed pieces, mm-hmm. um, uh, same color schemes. You have uh, like golds and kind of dark greens and oranges and lots of circles everywhere. Yeah. You know? I found myself wondering though, like um, were there no old buildings on Ferenginar? Or were there no new buildings on Ferenginar? Because I don't know, you know, I don't know which one those would be. But um, again, you talk about New York, especially uh, Boston as well. L.A. less so because L.A. is a younger city. Yeah. Um, But, you know, you look at the skyline of of these uh, places and like, I mean, like the Empire State Building, right, stands tall next to obviously more modern designs. Right. It looks like uh, whatever the main city on Ferenginar was. I'm going to go with Ferenginar City. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I was about to. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess it looks like Ferenginar City was all built on the same day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of that in Star Trek, though. You know, you yeah. have a matte painting, and everything's going to be sort of unified. But it was interesting that uh, Quark pointed out, or was it Rom that pointed out to Moogie? Oh, your room is so traditional. Yes. It, well, it just sort of looks like every other Ferengi design that we've seen so far. Well, a lot less stuff in it. She's a widow. There wouldn't be yeah. many things. I mean, I assume that that was actually referencing the um, the thing that they said at the beginning when they walked in and Ram was like, oh, Moogie's been acquiring lots of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Oops. No, she hasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the money you're sending her. Right. So mm-hmm. I kind of yeah. figured that was, a, that was that. about that. I liked the uh, Rom has the latinum tooth sharpener, but Cork has a cheap wooden chew stick. And I, I just, I, in my head, I'm picturing like a like a toddler size Cork, big lobes and all, just just like gnawing on a little wooden chew stick, just whatever that looks like. I'm I'm picturing one of the office puppies doing that, you know. And it's, yes, yeah, I could see Cork doing that too. Um, by the way, uh, speaking of animals, uh, you had that big bowl of mealworms. I don't know what the rules are if you have to have somebody from the ASPCA on set if you're working with mealworms. That thought did cross my mind. <laughs> Sorry. Well, no, the reason I said is because I was thinking, well, no, you can buy them and eat them if you want to. Yeah. And that's, that's why I got stuck on the but then, yeah. But then I was thinking, well, you can also buy a cow and eat it if you want to. But I think if you had a cow in front of the camera, you would need the SPCA there. Right. So I don't know. That'd be that'd be something, wouldn't it? Yeah. That'd be. We should get somebody from the SPCA on the phone because I'm curious now. And hey, maybe we could get somebody from the cast on the phone and find out if they just ate those after they were done with the scene. Because you know, you got live food on set. Be ashamed to let that go to waste. Um, let's go back to DS9 for a minute. Everybody is cool with breaking and entering. I mean, it, it is Quark's bar, and they all kind of uh, definitely make Quark feel like a second-class citizen. And uh, and I guess you can assume that DS9 is private-ish property to some extent. It's like he, he's a, a leaseholder there on somebody else's station. But still, still, they did put that big lock on there. You know, that may have been the best scene in the whole thing. I'm sorry, I'm thinking about, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'm thinking about the direction, what you were talking about earlier about Rene Obersenwald not you know, necessarily taking to direction. That, mm-hmm. that scene to me, I'm really liking the relationship between O'Brien and Bashir. I mean, yeah. they spent so much time, um, what sort of looking for, telegraphing that. 
and and now it just feels like a thing that's happening. I mean, they feel there was something almost classic film about, you know, this caper that they're trying to pull, you know, breaking mm-hmm. into the bar, literally under the watchful eye of the local cop. It felt uh, it felt Bowery Boys. It felt um, um, Laurel and Hardy. Yeah, it, it's a good scene. It's a good yeah. bit. They're still breaking into the guy's bar. Yeah, with, well, with yes. the constable right there. That's you know? right, but with the constable right there. I yeah. mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, as far as like, should they be doing this? No, they should not be doing it. As as character stuff, which I think is largely what this episode is. Um, then it was funny. Yeah, it was funny. It was a good bit. Um, also on DS9 in the cargo bay, uh, did you see all the logos on all of the boxes? Because Cassidy Yates has a logo of her own. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what it's for, but it is her name and, and some stuff on there. But it's a great big label. And it looks like under her name, it says Interstellar Freight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she's a brand. Yes. Oh, yeah. Dude, we actually uh, we have that up in the Nexus and Sansar. You're kidding me. I don't know. Like years from now, I don't know how long we'll have the Nexus and Sansar. I don't know how long it'll be there. But yeah. as we record this, remember we had that listener who was like, I have every logo that has oh. ever been on screen. And of we course. lined the whole wall with that. Yeah. Um, yes, I've seen, I've seen Cassidy Yates' uh, logo in there. That's so, so funny. I mean, you'll have to forgive me. There are only like 390 other logos. But, oh, no, I know. It's, but, a, it's, yeah. an amazing, it's an amazing bit of work that uh, the gentleman did, and I can't believe I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But yes, um, and he's got a whole project. So, yay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to find that information and make it known. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, so I've seen her logo, and funny enough, so have you. Yes. At some point I have. Um, Speaking of Cassidy, uh, when she just throws out that invitation to, uh, to Cisco, she's like, Hey, you want to have coffee tomorrow evening? Sure. And then he just walks away. So when you invite someone for coffee on DS9, do you just automatically mean the replimat or in your quarters or at that Klingon place? We haven't seen that guy in a while. I mean, because literally you can get coffee anywhere. You can be walking down a corridor. There's a uh, replicator and just go like, yeah, I'll take coffee. Yeah, it would have been actually that would have been funny if like, you know, she was sitting one place waiting for coffee. He was sitting another place waiting for coffee. And that's how the date went. I mean, it wouldn't have been funny. It would have been sad, but it could have happened. I'll tell you the thing I was thinking about, Cassidy. I was thinking uh, every time I watched the episode that she was saying that uh, New Orleans sounded like a great place to throw up. (laughs) I thought, well, that's not nice. You're talking about the man's home for crying out loud. It's a whole city. I mean, yes, Mardi Gras. Things can happen. Maybe she's been on Bourbon Street. You're right. I mean, there are a couple of times where where New Orleans is, I guess, as good a place as any to throw up. But come on, Cassidy, you're talking about the man's home. I know, right. Oh, God. What was that line that Rom has when he's confronting Quark? It's like he couldn't hold on to latinum if it was sewn into his clothes. Uh, so if you sewed it into his pants, yes, he, uh, he couldn't hold on to latinum if you sewed it into his pants. Love that line. Yeah. I, I wonder where he heard that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a line he might have heard. It does. A time or two. It does. No, I do not want no grubs. Grubs are a food that will get no love from me. Crawling to the side of the plate, in the middle of a date, while I am trying to eat, I do not want no grubs. Grubs are a food that will get no love from me. Crawling to the side of the plate. We'll settle family business in a moment, but first a word from Mack Weldon. Modern Men's Essentials. 
I got a decent amount of uh, Mac Weldon clothing at this point, John. Uh, today, in fact, and uh, people watching the video, and I know we don't usually talk about that, but I, I, I donned this today. Today, I am wearing my Mac Weldon Intrepid Long Sleeve Polo. And, uh, and you, sir, are wearing what from Mac Weldon? So I got to say, that polo looks really good. And I, Thank I'm you. not just saying that. It's cool. I, as soon as I saw you, I was like, I need one of those too. What I'm wearing, uh, I will not be showing on video, but I will tell you that I'm a big <laughs> fan of Mac Weldon's socks and mm-hmm. their underwear. Um, they are really well made. They're very comfortable. And I absolutely love the fact that they have the silver stitched into them. So they're antimicrobial as well. Um, they're truly, I'm a convert. They're truly the best underwear and socks I have owned. Yeah, we talked about them several months ago, and it's wonderful to have them back as a sponsor. And we did get an email from a person or two who was like, well, I just, I, I, why are you talking about your underwear? Well, here's the thing. If we don't talk to you about our underwear, who will? Yeah, <laughs> I have a I have a hoodie uh, from Mac Weldon that I love. I have the Intrepid Long Sleeve Polo uh, that I love, and a few pairs of their underwear that I love as well. Uh, the fit, the comfort, the design. Uh, the hoodie is my go-to hoodie, whether I'm going to the grocery store or you know hanging out around the house. Um, what I love about the Intrepid Long Sleeve Polo, and, and you think, well, it's a polo shirt and it's long sleeves, and I can get those you know anywhere. Uh, for for varying prices and designs. Uh, One of the things I love about it is uh, the cuff. The cuff actually has a button on it. And and you think, well, why do I want that? And the answer is, remember the polo shirt that you had, and then you kept pulling the sleeve up, right? And then it lost all of its elasticity. That's what you want this for. I mean, it's just, and, and, you know, and the design and the fit and all that stuff as well. And the, and the underwear, um, well, the one thing I would say about that is I, I, if you're like, you know, most guys and you feel like me, uh, there's underwear that you really like, and then there's underwear that you just have, right? And, and this is underwear that, that, you, that you will enjoy wearing, I, I, I think anyway. I know I enjoy wearing my Mack Weldons. I mean, they feel different. They feel better. I'm a fan. I'm enjoying my Mack Weldon underwear right now. And Ken, unlike you, who can just show your uh, polo off to everybody, yeah. I'm saying I'll show it to everybody. But, you know, you catch me in the right situation. <laughs> Vegas, baby. Vegas, yeah. Sometimes not even. Mack Weldon aims to make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. And I'm telling you right now, they are succeeding in this very moment. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code MissionLog at checkout. That's MacWeldon, M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N, MacWeldon.com. I would be willing to bet that MacWeldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now, unless, of course, you're already wearing MacWeldon. If you're not, may I suggest you try them and you can try them risk-free. If you don't like your first pair of underwear from Mack Weldon, you can keep it and Mack Weldon will send you a refund. No questions asked. So for 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter the promo code MissionLog at checkout. And a big thanks to Mack Weldon for sponsoring this week's show. So the FCA thing is uh, kind of odd to me. Uh, how is that? I mean, they're, they're like the, the IRS of Franganar. Right. Yeah. And you could argue that the U.S. is built on greed, 
but we would like to not argue that. We would like to present an idea that we're not, you know, built on that. And so when the IRS catches you, you expect, you know, that the IRS is going to come after you for that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Ferengi culture, on the other hand, is built on greed and they're proud of it, right? They seem to sort of prize getting it over on the other guy. Mm -hmm. And so it almost feels to me like the Ferengi Commerce Authority would applaud hiding latinum from them. Although I guess you could argue that they do applaud that, but if they find it, then you're busted and, you know, they can't applaud that. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's, it's just weird to me. Um, but then the thing that seemed most weird to me, I mean, they're really just extortionists. And this is where the, they're different, I think, than, uh, than the IRS and mm -hmm. other, you know, reputable tax authorities. Um, because, uh, because in the end, uh, they'll, they'll keep her confession secret, right? Yes. That seems yeah. more like something yeah. a Ferengi bureaucracy would do, um, but it's not going to help their society at all. I mean, the whole thing was sort of like, it was jokes upon jokes upon jokes, I guess. Because there were parts of it that were very, there were parts of it that were very Cardassian, honestly. They're like, sure. listen, we know she's guilty. We don't know how she's guilty, but we know she's guilty. And so we are going to need a confession because that's got to happen. Because, you know, that's what keeps the, keeps the wheels from coming off the bus here. And so then, you know, they, they, they get the stuff, they get the confession, and he's like, ah, this will be good for the Ferengi. And then Quark's like, or you could have these three bars of latinum, because that's what they think that she got, right? And so yeah. he gives them the three, for three bars of latinum, he'll keep the whole thing, uh, he'll sweep the whole thing under the rug. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah, see, I... I don't know that I fully agree because it, it, it seemed like, yes, everything is built on getting one over on the other guy. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it has to do with money, but it also has to do with power. So if you happen to be the people who work for the FCA, well, mm -hmm. you're, you're in it for yourself as well. You know, uh, I mean, at a certain point, it seems like the sexism sort of outweighs whatever celebration we might make about Ferengi earning illegal profit. And maybe there are ways within Ferengi society, even for the men, to earn an illegal profit. Um, <laughs> there but, are ways in every society to earn an illegal profit, John. Well, of course, but it seems like <laughs> in Ferengi, they've sort of codified <laughs> even every potential illegal thing that they just, it's sort of right. like Klingons and honor. Uh, you can just say that a thing is honorable, even if it's terrible, but you, you slap the label honor on it. So we're going to say it's okay. With Ferengi, it's like you do a terrible thing, but you slap the label profit on it. Suddenly, it's not so terrible. Suddenly, it becomes perfectly acceptable for them to do. Um, so I, I can get where an organization like the FCA would be there, would do their thing, because ultimately it's just another way for Ferengi to make profit. And if you're a guy like Brun and you absolutely walk into any situation going, what can I get out of this? Well, if it means busting somebody, even if they made a profit, but especially if they're female, well, I'm going to figure out a way to, uh, to get whatever I can to help myself along the way. See, what would be hilarious would be to find out that the FCA is actually not part of the Ferengi government. <laughs> sort of like, the, a, like the Heritage Foundation or the NRA <laughs> or something like that, right? It's like, yeah. we're, we're a group of private citizens who have decided that a thing should be a way. Pay us yeah. or we'll shame you. 
I mean, it well, would be kind of funny to find that out because because I didn't see the Grand Naguses. I mean, yes, he was on the little collection box, but yeah. as you pointed out, those collection boxes are anywhere. It would yeah. be really funny if the FCA is like not affiliated with the Ferengi government. <laughs> that that actually seems like a very Ferengi way to open that, business. That would that actually makes yeah. the FCA make much more sense to me if they're if they're just organized crime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hundred <laughs> percent. If yeah. they're not. Uh, yeah, if they're not uh, official in any way, despite their use of the term authority. Well, let's talk about what's going on with Mugi a little bit here, because we learned some things about women in Ferengi society. Uh, they can't earn profit or be in business um, in any way, which is interesting. You know, I, I think about there are various times in history when even in civilized developed countries that women have been able to work and be a part of business and other times when they have not been able to work and be a part of business. Um, Mm -hmm. But it it seems like even during those times, there were and are women who have an influence over business because they have an influence over maybe the men who are running those businesses. Um, So I found this to be an interesting thing. Uh, To me, it was like, well, of course, Ishka is talking to Keldar. And if Keldar is awful, of course, she is influencing what he's doing just to keep the family business running, just to keep them alive. Uh, We learn, well, we learned before, but we see here that women can't wear clothes. They're not supposed to wear clothes. Uh, That women are not supposed to talk to strangers or uh, apparently any men that they don't know, even if it's a business situation like this with Brunt. And uh, and women can't travel either, uh, which I think we hit upon with Pell a little Mm -hmm. bit. Um, Okay, but so here's the thing. There are all these rules and... Of course, the Ferengi live and die by their rules, and they're very much baked into their culture. Um, we hate those rules from our point of view, you know, but they're, they're not our rules, right? You know, the Federation supposedly would look at this and go like, yeah, we, uh, we, we don't approve of treating women in these ways. We, we don't agree treating them like second-class citizens and, and uh, almost like slaves at a certain point here. Um, so I, I wonder how much we can reasonably champion Moogie's side of things when she will only make things worse for herself and her family. And, and here's the thing. I, I'm asking that because I want to know, can she really change Ferengi society? Because we look at all those rules and go, this is horrible. This is terrible. Is she in a position, though, to actually make a case for changing these things systemically other than just telling her sons, yeah, these are unfair and I'm going to do what I want to do anyway? You know, how many women before her, how many Ferengi females have tried and failed before her? How many are trying and potentially failing now or will try and fail in the future? You know, um, I, I love that part of their argument here. Cork says, it's the law, and without law, society would descend into chaos. And she says, rightfully so, if you ask me, the society could use a little chaos. I Mm -hmm. like her revolutionary spirit. I like the idea that she wants to change things because she can patently see that they're wrong. Um, And here's Quark just sort of towing the line. You know, uh, they, they say Quark doesn't make the rules. He just lives by them. 
So you're sort of blindly following along like, yeah, well, that, that's the rule. I can't change it. But you could actually, because you're male, you actually have more say than Mugi does anyway. Uh, uh, okay. There are like four things there, I think. Yeah, there are a lot um, of things there. Well, let me, um, let's go back though to when you're asking the question, um, like, can she make things, can she make change? Uh, sorry, it's a money joke. Ah, good one. Can, yeah. can she affect change or, you know, can she really change Ferengi society? Are, are you saying that she shouldn't try? No, no, no. I'm not saying that she shouldn't try, but I, I just wonder, uh, I, I wonder for her own safety, mm-hmm. at, like, okay, Quark leaves, she's sitting on all this money. Who's the next FCA agent who shows up? And really makes things terrible for her. And she ends up in indentured servitude. Is it, is it worth it to her, I want her to stand by that principle, to risk that again? I guess the answer is yes, because she has kept her profit and Quark is none the, none the wiser. Yeah, you see, honestly, that's my biggest problem with the whole episode, is that it ends with her uh, apparently you know, being good. And I'm putting good in quotes. I mean, it ends with her apparently being good. And yes, we get the satisfaction of knowing that she's kept some of her money and we get the satisfaction of knowing that she and Quark have you know, gained a bit more respect for each other at the same time. Ram is not being treated like an idiot because he actually knows more about it than, you know, than Quark does as far as how much she's kept. But and that whole thing, um, it didn't sit well with me that it's like, you know, she, she went ahead and, and, and basically towed the line herself. I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. what you're saying is not, well, I think what you're saying is wrong, but what you're saying is not wrong. I mean, I understand mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Like, no, and, and that, that's the thing though. I, what I'm saying is wrong and also not wrong. That's the difficulty with this episode is that we, we have a correct built-in sympathy for Moogie's plight here. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, again, from our point of view, and uh, you would think from Star Trek's point of view, and I'm using that sort of interchangeably with the, the Federation to say this enlightened, progressive humanity, we look at that and go, this is horrible, this is backwards. Mm-hmm. Boogie is a person with rights. She should be a free agent to do whatever she wants to do. However, we're applying that standard to a culture that absolutely does not allow that and actually endangers the people who, who would do that. But I mean, okay, and that's the kind of thing that you want Star Trek to do, isn't it? I mean, isn't that isn't that what you want mm-hmm. us to do? Make it make it something else. It's not about somebody you know wants to wants to be able to earn money. Make it that a woman wants to be able to drive, or make it you know that yeah. uh, that man wants to be able to love a man, or or, or not even love him. <laughs> right? And same goes for women. Yeah. I mean, it, it, this is don't you want? Well, whatever. Well, well, no, it it is what we want. We want to see her succeed. We want to see her be okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the end, yeah, and and this is, I think, where we're both landing on the the final wrap up here. In the end, do we actually land at that place where we can go, this is all right? Well, no, she is still systemically held down by these rules that she cannot change. The best that we have of it is, well, she's got enough money to be comfortable. Um, and she has the secret that we all sort of, you know, give, give a wink and a nod to. It's like, oh, okay. She's, she's got one over on them until the next guy comes along where she doesn't have one over on them. 
until she gets found out or until Rom lets it slip up. Like, oh, yeah, <laughs> our mother does extremely well, better than us. With everything pretty much back to the way it started, it is time to see what we can take from family business. business john the episode is called family business uh you see it's about a it's about a family and business dealings but then the b plot which by the way we didn't even touch on that once in the last segment Mm -hmm. Uh, the b plot of course has to do with jake uh you know trying to do something nice for a member of his family uh hooking his his dad up uh with somebody who's in business that that one feels like a stretch, but the family business thing with Quark and uh, Ishka and everybody else, I would say that's uh, that's mostly where the title is. Um, anything I missed in there? No, they're both uh, pieces of family business. You know, business with a big B when you're talking about the Ferengi and uh, little B when you're talking about the, the family business between Jake and his dad and Cassidy. I found that plot line to be, you know, very simplistic, but charming. It's fine. Like that, that's all we need to get out of it. They need to meet and they need to like each other. And Jake needs to have a big smile on his face. That's cool. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. It, it was a very sitcom kind of thing. But It is a very sitcom kind of thing. I, I kind of feel like this whole episode is a very sitcom kind of thing, but we can get to that in a moment because I want to know what you think of it. This is the part where we talk about the messages, morals, meanings. Uh, the ideas, the ideals. We we try to figure out whether the episode holds up today. Uh, we, uh, go where you want to go, Mister Champion. Do what you want to do. Um, the family business. Go. I think there's some really good moments in this. Uh, that fight between Quark and Rom is really good. I find myself really paying attention to that each time I watched it. Um, the acting is good. The handheld camera really sells it. That, that was a good choice on the part of the DP because normally Star Trek has, you know, some pretty locked down shots, uh, stuff that's either steady on a tripod or on a dolly or a crane. But this, when you introduce the activity of the handheld into their fight, it makes it more energetic. Um, and that is a really serious moment when so much of the Ferengi plot lines have been played out purely as comedy. You know, you and I both like Wally Sean, but we know that when you bring Wally Sean in, you've already got a talented comedic actor who is cranking up that comedy to 11 by doing a funny comedy voice. This one, there's, there is definitely a bit of that. And when you have a talented comedic actor like Andrea Martin come in, you know you're going to get some of that anyway, particularly with that extreme makeup. But she also has genuine moments of uh, strength in this and genuine moments of uh, emotional connection, I thought. So for as much as they did that, uh, they, I think they achieved a pretty good balance here. Uh, this show is about family and relationships, the Cisco storyline and the Ferengi storyline. And... You know, in the last segment, we talked a lot about sort of the cultural and social implications of what's going on in Ferenginar. And that's a mess because there's not really a great place to land on that other than just to say that for us, those rules are terrible. Um, 
what actually happens if she steps out of those rules as she has done here. Um, but I think what's interesting is the family storyline about the Ferengi. Quark's been embarrassed all his life because his mother is an iconoclast. Now, being an iconoclast might just be something that is a little mild, like not chewing his food, or it might be something that really changes how she is perceived and how the family is perceived in their culture by like wearing clothes and talking to strangers and earning a profit, things that could actually get her thrown into indentured servitude. Um, She's not a woman who just blends in like the rest of the women who play by the rules on Ferenginar are supposed to do. So this is all fascinating stuff to see how they navigate that. And I think where they land with the family drama, where there is somewhat a resolution, where they are able to level each other and see each other as people, um, was really nice. I'm glad that we got a moment with Ram and Ishka. I'm glad that we got a moment with Quark and Ishka where she can essentially say the lesson of the episode, which is to say that even if we're different, even if we disagree on things, we are still family. We are still connected. These are the reasons that I care about you and love you. Um, Even if we won't ever be able to see eye to eye on uh, the relative merits of breaking the rules. So this episode has got a lot going for it. It may not be the best episode ever. It may not even be the best Ferengi episode ever, but I think it stretches the Ferengi a little bit beyond where we've known them so far. So I will give this one a pass and uh, say that it does hold up. Uh, how about you, Ken? Uh, no. Really? <laughs> yeah, really. And I, I'm sorry. Um, no, don't be sorry. This is why we do what we do. The, the problem I have with this episode is in the end, it's all about quark and societal norms, not about Ishka. I mean, what I would like to have seen happen is, you know, I wish this was happening to somebody else and Quark had had to think about it. Or maybe like maybe it's a it's a story that's rocking Ferenginar, right? And Quark has to go back because he's supporting his mother while she, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's all, you know, those people this, those people that, those people the other. And then he finds out it's happening to his family as well. And then he has to actually kind of address it or think about it or whatever. Because in the end, what happens is to save the family, Ishka just, you know, as far as anybody outside knows, goes back to being the dutiful Ferengi. Mm-hmm. You asked the question earlier, is she in a position to change, uh, to change society? Probably not by herself, but maybe by herself. And either way, I think the Star Trek story that we would all like to see is somebody who tries. Because in the end, what she is, is, you know, uh, somebody who is sneakily still doing the thing that she wants to do, but nothing's getting any better for anybody else. There's, there's minimal growth for Quark here. And what little growth you get comes at Ishka's expense. The person who we learned has sort of, you know, uh, taught him everything that he knew. Um, I said earlier, the whole thing reads like a sitcom to me. It, it honestly reminded me of, um, I don't know why I thought of this. But uh, you remember the episode, uh, the, the the part in The Godfather Part 2, where Michael goes to see Hyman Roth, and he goes mm-hmm. into his house, mm-hmm. and they go in, and they're like, how you doing? How was your flight? Uh, are you healthy? Yes, good. Good health is the most important thing. Do you watch baseball? I've loved baseball since uh, since they fixed the 1919 World Series. 
And then they, they turn down the TV and they lean in close. I'm sorry, they turn up the TV so nobody else will hear. And they lean in close and they get to the real business. Yeah. And we never got to the real business, it seems to me. We never got to, you know, I mean, in the end, it was Quark begging her to not be who she is and her saying, well, I love you, so okay. But then I'm secretly going to be who I am, but, but we're not going to really do anything to move anything along here. There was a thing that happened that I did like, um, and it was like, I don't know if it was a message or if it was one of those, you know, gem things that I talk about or whatever. Mm-hmm. I like Ishka's delineation between speaking a truth, even a hurtful truth, and being insulting. And, you know, I don't know that she toes that line all the way through. Um, there's a sitcom tropishness uh, to this episode, and I think sometimes that she spoke truth in an insulting way to be insulting. But there's a ton of stuff, you know, that a ton of people are bad at and saying they're bad at it is not necessarily insulting them. It's just saying they're bad at it. I do the same thing myself. Sometimes I'll say, oh, I'm no good at this thing. And somebody will say, no, 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 you're great at that. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm not. And it's okay. I'm not talking bad about myself. It's I realize that this is a strength that I don't have. She did the same thing when she's talking to Quark about Quark's dad which I, I, I really like that delineation. She's like, you know, he, he really wasn't good at business. And Quark's like, you're always insulting him. And she's like, I'm not insulting him. He just wasn't good at business. Yeah. It reminds me of a Voltaire quote, actually, which I think I've mentioned here before, but I refer to it as a, a quote from Fargo because that's where I saw it. Um, to the living, we owe respect, but to the dead, we owe only the truth. I, I don't know that I agree, but it reminded <laughs> me of that. Um, I mean, you don't want to be disrespectful, but at the same time, it's not, it's not disrespectful to say, you know, your strength may lie over here, but anyway, that, that's like a whole, that's just like a messagey part of it. The problem that I have is, I mean, we seem to agree you and I, as we're watching this, that this is sexist, generally speaking, I would think what we would hope that Star Trek would do is take a stand on that. And the stand that Star Trek seems to take on this one is go along to get along. Well, but but how much troubling to me? How much going along is she doing? I mean, she still has her businesses. She still has her aliases and profits. Now, look, I, I she is in a terrible place where she can't even leave. She can't even hop on a ship and, and get out of there. Now, had this been a different Star Trek episode, had this been maybe a little more revolutionary for her, then yeah, maybe that's a better Star Trek ending is she is actually able to leave and maybe she comes to DS9 and she runs Quark's bar. You know, Maybe she actually becomes the, the one Ferengi female to be able to break out of this and Prove to other Ferengi females that you can be better than what this world says you can be. That that would be cool. <laughs> that would actually be really cool. Um, for whatever reason, they decided to not tell that story here. But I, I'm not left with a completely hopeless feeling at the end here. And and it was that wink and a nod to the essentially to the camera at the end to say yeah, this all looks good on the surface. All these other people think that they got what they were after, but I'm still doing what I want to do. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
generally speaking, I, I, maybe I'm misremembering something. Harry Mudd would be the kind of guy who would be like, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, the stories, it seems to me, and maybe I'm misremembering the past 300 some odd episodes, but generally speaking, at least until the past few seasons, um, it's been about making things better for everybody, not making things okay for you. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where, that's where I'm going to go out on a limb and say this episode falls down for me <laughs> is, you know, in the end it's like, okay, well, we'll just keep all this quiet and you can keep profiting. I mean, it's just, it just, yeah, it, um, no kind of bummed. It doesn't work for me, which is too bad. Cause I really like Andrea Martin, uh, kind of a bum that she's not going to be back for, uh, for Ishka as well. But, uh, yeah, well, there, there is more Ishka slash Moogie to come. And, you know, all I can say is that we, we, we hope for better things for Moogie. You know, uh, I, I would like to see her. Look, as uh, Kirk said, you know, one man or in this case, one woman can start a revolution. Maybe, maybe Moogie will be the one to start a revolution for Ferengi female everywhere. And by everywhere, I mean only on Ferenginar because they can't leave. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Hey, have you checked out everything on the Roddenberry Podcast Network? Everything like Women at Warp, Priority One, The Trek Files, your daily Star Trek news, and Shabam. Shabam! Podcast.roddenberry.com. If you'd like to support Mission Log directly, that'd be neat. Patreon.com slash Mission Log is the place to do that. And for more Star Trek news and discussion, be sure to visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, Shekhar. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages by Key Theory, free to download at kitheory.com. To keep up to date with everything happening with Mission Log, listen to Mission Log Live, available where you get podcasts, and be sure to visit the show's site, missionlogpodcast.com. transmission. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.